appreciative this morning of your passion and your desire to press into what God is doing. And obviously, we know God is every place, everywhere, all the time. Amen? Amen. But I believe that his people pressing in just makes an impact that, that we don't experience if we just kind of uh, go through it with just in the motions. You know what I mean? And so thank God that God's presence was here to touch people, and his presence is here to lead us in his word. Amen? Before we get to the word today, um, I just want to give an announcement about baptism. On the last Sunday of this month, we'll be having our baptism. If you have made a profession of faith in Jesus and you've not yet been baptized, we would love for you to take that step. It's kind of like getting married and not wearing your wedding band. How many, how many wives have a problem with that? Yeah, man, put your, bad weather, put your wedding band on, you know. Well, it was the same way with baptism. It's an outward expression of something that's happened on the inside. Jesus has saved you, and it's time for you to take that public um, affirmation of baptism. And, and just to be able to identify with his death, burial, and resurrection, to be able to take that moment like a birth announcement to proclaim that you will follow him. And then also to illustrate that watery grave, that our old sins are buried, and that we come up a new creature in Christ Jesus. So how do you do this? You go to www.mymomentumchurch.tv and on that website you'll find everything you need for momentum to sign up for things. And so go on there and sign up for baptism, letting us know which service that you're going to be in. All right. And so if you last week were one of the few that got saved last week, just brand new to the Lord, you can be baptized that Sunday. So please, let's just plan for that. If you have been a believer for a long time and just have not yet followed in baptism, we would love for you to do that as well. All right. So let's get into the Word today. I want you to open your Bibles, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And this is our second week in our Asking for a Friend series. How many enjoyed last Sunday? Yeah. This week, you're not going to enjoy so much. No. This week, what my question is, is this. Was Jesus, or is Jesus, a Republican or a Democrat? And I'm going to say right now, we need the help of the Lord on this today, amen? Because truthfully, when it comes down to it, I can make about 30, 35% of you mad in here, no matter what I say, when it comes to political agendas and political positions and platforms, right? And so I, here's what, my goal isn't to make 35% of you mad today. My goal is to make 100% of you mad today. I'm telling you, everybody just draw your toes back because we're coming for them, amen? And so I want you to stand to your feet. We're going to honor God's word today as we look at his word. And this is 1 Peter 2, verse 9 through 12. It says, but you are a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Everybody tap yourself right here. You're God's own special people. That you may proclaim the praises of Jesus who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Watch this inheritance. The, the power of being brought into the family of God. It says, who were once not a people, but are now the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. That little tidbit today is enough to leave you shouting all afternoon. Amen. Just that I once was nothing, but in him I've been found. That I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I... Yeah, yeah, everything in him. It's new. I love it. That mercy that he brings, verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe... 
glorify God in the day of visitation. What in the world does that have to do with Jesus being a Democrat or a Republican? Oh, we're going to get there, amen? But I don't want you stoning me, so I'm going to pray first. Let's pray. Jesus, would you lead and guide our conversation today? That you might be seen, Lord. That as we teach today, that we would leave this place passionate about a platform like never before. Passionate about an agenda like never before. Passionate, Lord, about positions like we've never been before. God, would you visit with us today in Jesus' name, amen. You can have your seat. Good evening, everyone. Thank you very much for coming out. Is the sound working? Got it? The sound working? That we're prepared to act in the national security interests of this country to get back in the business of creating a more peaceful world. Please clap. It was embarrassing. Bernie Sanders' net worth is more than mine. I mean... I have less money than a socialist. I don't know what... I can hear you. Can you hear us? Is the sound working? Based on that, I think I could stand up there for the whole of the day and not say anything and, and emerge as a leader. With, I'm getting to my question, thank you. Okay, Councillor Ainsley, you got your own issues. Councillor so Ford... I not be saying too much. Councillor Ford, please direct the question through the chair to the staff. Again, who, who, do, who, do, I, who, do, I, who do I speak to about the proper... Bring it closer. Can you hear now? There's an old saying in Tennessee, I know it's in Texas, probably Tennessee, that says, fool me once, shame on you, shame on you. The fool me, you can't get fooled again. Uh, during my service in the United States of Congress, uh, I took the initiative in creating the internet. Caucus soon to be joined by the Senate Democrats as well. It's not on? Is somebody going to deal with this? Yes, Congresswoman, somebody's going to deal with this. Amen? We're going to deal with this real good today. So, is Jesus a Democrat or Republican? You know, when you watch that video, you couldn't write humor like that, you know? It's just, it's just funny all by itself, you know? And, um, and it just always trips me out. And, and, and this is actually reality. I get that. And if we're holding fast to politics to change our world, we'll be holding fast for a long, long time. But when I said, is Jesus a Democrat or Republican, instantly those words are polarizing. Instantly in your mind, there's people in the room that will have one position or another. Maybe you're an independent or a libertarian. But when I say politics, instantly in your mind, you're thinking that should not be in the church. I agree. I get that, you know. And so we're headed somewhere here today. Say we're headed somewhere. When you think about politics, here's the thing about it, it's wild how polarizing it is in the sense that you could actually hear something said by your favorite politician and be all gung-ho for it, and then find a clip 
from a politician you had nothing, no respect for at all years ago. And you look at that, and he said the same thing, and you demonized him all those years ago. Praise Jesus. Okay? Or vice versa. There could be something that one politician says that you're just like, oh, that's awful. But when your politician said it, you're like, woo, praise the politician. It happens. And it worries me so much because it's basically platform politics in the sense that I'm, I know who the person is and I agree with him. I like him. Then I will just carte blanche, give him a pass on everything, and yay, my favorite politician. And so often now what will happen is you might see a position spoken of and you don't take the mind and the time to figure something out, to get something that has a biblical perspective when it comes to a biblical worldview concerning that person. Now you can tell I haven't talked about anybody directly, amen? Because I appreciate our 501c3, that's why, <laughs> no. But when it comes down to it, <laughs> when it comes down to it, we do this. And you'll see a statement, and I'll just use Facebook, and you want to be like, yeah, happy face, thumbs up, whatever you do on Facebook. I'm not sure how it works. I mean, I know it, but there's a thumbs up, then it should be thumbs up. And you're all excited about it, but you're thinking to yourself, I better find out who said that first, because it might not be, and then you find out it's somebody you don't like, and you're like, well, I can't like that. But you liked it, and if it had been somebody you liked, you would have went, hey, it's so good. Why? It's the cult of personality. It's the cult of thinking the politicians are going to fix it. I better find the right politician and so on. And so when it comes down to it, you can hear the same things coming from the other side of the aisle, but you'll quickly dismiss those things. But you would extol those things that was presented on your side of the aisle, and you would align yourself to that. Guys, all I'm saying is we've got to be careful. You know, because what happens is we begin to look at our positions and our thoughts and our favorite politicians and our favorite arguments, and we get all excited about it, and we'll look at our Facebook and we'll think to ourselves, it must be true because look how much on my Facebook affirms this thought and affirms this position. Do you know why? Everybody shout this real spiritual word called algorithms. <laughs> and Facebook likes to do one thing and one thing alone. Other than connecting you, it likes to make money. And let's figure this out, that with the algorithms, they are designed to keep you in a good mood. And you know why? Because when you're in a good mood, you buy stuff. Yeah, it's my position. I'm feeling good. Yes, I want to buy that. You know, when you're in a bad mood, you don't buy stuff. And so it's designed to keep your bias, whatever that might be, good or bad. It's designed in such a way to keep you, look, this is the real world. This is everything. Can I tell you something? This is everything. And if it doesn't line up to this, it is nothing. And I'm a little hot on this subject. I really am. And so I want to go into this because when it comes down to the idea that is Jesus a Democrat or a Republican, that's a bad question. You've noticed last week, and I'm going to do this every week, it's not really the question that we are, are saying out loud. There's another underlying question that's more important, right? And this week, the underlying question isn't, is he a Democrat or a Republican? The real question of the heart is this, who will bring about lasting change in my life? Who's going to bring about lasting change in my family's life, in my, my, my city's life, in my community's life? Who's going to bring about that lasting change? And mankind, we have a fault within us. From the dawn of time, we have always looked to people in authority or leadership as the reason for our success or our failure. All the way back to Adam and Eve. 
Eve says Satan did it. The serpent did it. You know? Well, she made a choice. Adam says Eve did it. Maybe that's true. I don't know. <laughs> Can I come live with somebody? Okay. But here's the thing. Mankind, we have a fault. And that fault is we always want somebody else to be the reason for our success or our failure. And if we're not walking in success or failure, it's because of somebody else. It's not because of us. It's somebody top down that hasn't done it right. So what happens is you find the student who is being not a good student. He's doing poorly in class. And guess whose fault it is? It's the teacher's. That teacher's a horrible teacher, and that's why I have bad grades. No, I have bad grades because I would not pay attention. I have bad grades because I know it's hard for you to believe. I talked a lot. <laughs> I remember at 19 years old, deciding to be a pastor, you know, feeling that call of God. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to serve Jesus. And if I'm going to serve Jesus, that means i got to be at church every week. And if i got to be at church every week, I'm going to be the one doing the talking. Literally, almost had that conversation because classroom settings were not good for me, okay? I struggled delivering. My brain goes everywhere. Imagine just sitting here right now. So with that, she would get a hall pass and come looking for me because I'd be outside of some classroom in a chair in trouble, you know? But I'm not, if I'm going to blame the teacher, no, it was me. I was messing things up. How about this? The environment at work, you know, that workplace, it's counterproductive, and it's because we have a horrible boss. It's got to be the boss's fault. No, could it be that you show up at work negative? You show up at work trying to do the least that you can do rather than the most that you can do? You show up at work with a bad attitude? Whose fault? The boss? No. If you and your workmates create a different environment, guess what? You'll have a different environment. But this fault within man to look at people and say, leadership will change. Leadership will make a difference in my life. Leadership, my success and my failure, it all depends upon who is in the seat. No, no, no. Not who's in the seat there, but who's in the seat here. Going to let the cat out of the bag a little bit. We're going to get there, okay? So listen, mankind often looks to elevate a person that will make a difference in the quality of life that they are currently experiencing. That's what we do. And it's not new to us. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 8. The Israelites... God had created this nation to be ran by a theocracy. He had created this nation that God would be in leadership, that it would flow down from, from him, if you will, as king. And they just couldn't. They needed to have that physical king. And in verse 4, then all of the elders of Israel gathered together, and they came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. Everybody say, like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel, and when they said, give us a king to judge us, and Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they've rejected me from being king over them. How many know, this is why we get some of the politicians we've gotten throughout the years, because God just says, go ahead, give them what they're asking for. Amen. Just being honest, and that's right wing, left wing, it doesn't matter, Amen. But God just, you know what? Give them what they want. Give them what they're asking for. And so we can see here this nation, they're wanting to be ruled over by a king. The Israelites, they begged Samuel the prophet to anoint a king over them. They felt that their quality of life would be better if they were like all the nations. 
Oh my goodness, God had always been separating his people unto himself to be different than the nations. You don't get much more different in that day and age than the difference between the circumcised and the uncircumcised. That's different. Why? Because God wanted to make a statement that these are my people, these are different than everybody else. They're my people, my chosen generation, my holy nation. And you can see at the time, no different than us, a people who are saying, but put somebody over us so that we can be like everybody else. Put somebody over us so that we can be like the other nations. They wanted the right thing. They wanted rulership, but they wanted it for the wrong reasons. We want to be like everyone else. And all I'm saying is God's never called his church to be like everyone else. God didn't call us to be Republicans and Democrats or socialists or to be anything like that. Although I know we have our parties and that's fine. But first and foremost, he called us to be his own, his own special people. And sometimes that gets lost in the divisiveness of our platforms. Sometimes that gets lost in our arguments. And people see you more for what you're against than who you're for. And it robs us from what God has for us. Amen? I don't expect a lot of conversation today in this message. I get that. You don't talk when you're in surgery. Come on, somebody. I get that. So Israel, they requested to be like the other nations, but they had been chosen to be unlike the other nations. You've been chosen to be unlike the world. They are chosen people to be governed by God. But the problem is man always is looking for external change. Man's always looking for top-down change. They're always wanting a leader to blame for their success or for their failure. And our world hasn't changed much than the times of that world. Fear and anxiety are gripping our country. There's unrest over the seas when it comes down to we're still at war in different locations. There's racial tension on the home front. When it comes down to it, politicians are trying to offer hope that we can put our trust in them and they can give us hope for the future. But we understand every generation has faced similar crises and every generation looks for one to rise up and bring about a change and a better life. Now, I'm not saying the church we should advocate responsibility. All right? But I want to look at what Jesus did when he came to the earth, when he came here to walk amongst us. I want to see how he kind of looked at political leadership. Can we do that? And then see what he offered. Because you know there was political leadership in his day too, right? Just like we have now, there was political leadership in his day. And he came and he kind of shook things up a little bit. Amen? I just think the church should be shaking some things up a lot more than we're shaking things up. And not just lost back in our divisive fighting. Amen? So during the first century, Israel, they were looking for the rise of a political leader to change everything for them. They wanted someone to come and take the shackles of Rome off their shoulders. Rome was literally taxing the tar out of the nation of Israel. They they were subjugating them to almost working like slaves. It was very difficult and very expensive to enter into the Roman system of business if you weren't a Roman citizen. You were taxed like crazy. Not only that, the morality that was going on at the time was on a steep decline. And, And we look at our morality now and we say, oh my gosh, it's horrible. Guys, it's been horrible since man was on the earth. I preached that last week, right? If you missed last week, go back and listen to it. We talked about how good can you be and how bad can you be and still be good. Go listen to that, okay? And so Jesus comes on the scene, this political scene, and everyone is looking for him to take the throne and change everything from the top 
down. Say top down. That's what they were thinking. Like, kind of like Reaganomics. Reaganomics was powerful. It brought some influx into the, the finances of our country. The problem with that, that brought some top-down finances that was seen, but because our hearts aren't fiscally responsible, we created, not the banks, we, in our lust, created a bubble that bursted and almost destroyed our country. But let's blame somebody for the lust in our heart for more. Dude, I, I can remember in 1991 going to college and them giving me a credit card. What were they thinking? They didn't do that in the 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s, but all oh, late 80s, early 90s, man, we'll just give these teenagers credit cards and teach them how to do this. And the lust in my heart caused me to go buy a $12,000 pickup truck when I was making $300 a week. What was I thinking? family trying to get married and raise a family, you know? But they kept giving me money, right? How many live that? How many still paying off some of that? <laughs> all right. So all I'm getting at is this trickle-down economics, you know, it was something, but it created a bust. Why? Because our hearts weren't okay. Our hearts demanded more. Our hearts weren't submitted in discipleship to Jesus or his word, and so it created a bust. Amen. Who's responsible? Them or us? Mm, the Bible says judgment begins in the house of the Lord. Oh, man. I just want the politician to change my life. That's all I want, Ross. Just let them make good decisions and it'll change our country. Just, just do that, Ross. It's so much easier, Ross. No, no, listen. I didn't come to you this morning to preach about a donkey or an elephant. I came this morning to lift up the lamb. That's what I came in this place to do. Jesus, the lamb slain from the foundations of the earth that covers our sins, but then him through his Holy Spirit empowers us to be kingdom-minded, to walk different, talk different, act different, look at things differently. And so that trickle-down financial Reaganomics, what about this? What about trickle-down morality? What about trickle-down fiscal responsibility? What about trickle-down quality of life? We're hoping for it. If I can just get the right guy in office, that'll trickle down. Well, listen, Jesus, he flips the political system on its head when he came. And the reason why, he flipped it on its head by promoting a law not in books, but a law in the heart of man. Hope and change come more from whom we elevate in our house than who we put in the White House. Who is raised up in your home as the leader of your life? Who has our allegiance? Political system or Jesus and his word? In Jeremiah 31, 33, it says this, For this is the covenant, it's a promise, that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I'll put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. I will be their God, and they will be little Republicans. I will be their God, and they will be little Democrats. I will be their God, and they will be little socialists and libertarians. I will be their God. No, no, no. I will be their God, and they will be who? My people. Jesus. Amen? Christ followers. Those who follow in his way. Amen? But so many of us, we get so wrapped up in identifying ourselves with political parties that we lose the voice that God has for us to the common man. Those who really need to see this hope. 
And so it's not top-down legislation that we see here, but a heart that becomes changed by the power and the presence of Jesus when his kingdom is embraced and his agenda is elevated in our lives. It's top-down. It's not top-down. It's change that comes to our lives when his presence and his kingdom is embraced and his platform is elevated in our lives. Jesus, he just had his own way, his own form, if you will, of politics. And we must shift away from the world's influences and be influenced by the ways of Jesus. If we're a Christ follower, that is our allegiance. Amen? <coughs> Jesus, he sought to transform the world. And so when Jesus lived, there was political leadership at the time as well. And I want to look at two different leaders. There was Herod and Caiaphas. And these are both political leaders. Now, Herod, King Herod, he was a tetrarch of Rome. He was placed there as a Jewish man who was placed there to rule that region, okay? But he's king, so he's kind of a political leader. But you understand how the church at the time, or if you will, the religious institution at the time, how it worked. Caiaphas, the high priest, although he was priestly, and that seems like a very religious place, it was very political as well. So from the political standpoint, you had power that was wrapped up in Herod and Caiaphas. And here's what's so neat about it. Jesus comes on the scene, and these men, were, these men were leaders in every aspect of life. Their reign, their rule, it touched and impacted nearly everyone, if not all the people that Jesus ministered to. But you'll see very little engagement between Jesus and these men. You know? You just don't see a ton of engagement. These men both were secular and religious leaders, and they were brought to maintain order in that day, and they had to exercise their power, but Jesus paid little attention to them. Yes, he honored their position, he respected their role, but he didn't get hung up on them, and he did not cozy up to them. Oh, this is my favorite politician. You didn't see that with Jesus. So when it came to the those that were in political power, he honored, he respected, but he didn't cozy up, you know, to them. There was a different way that he was pursuing, all right? Though he came to change and impact the world, he didn't see Herod's and Caiaphas' way as being his way. And so he didn't dialogue with nor ask for their support. Will you put a stamp on my ministry? It was the exact opposite of that. Amen? Now there's another group, the religious group. So you have on the one side those that are in political power. You have the other that are in religious power of the day. And so you had three different people in that group. You had the Pharisees, the Essenes, and the Zealots. And so when it came down to the Pharisees, man, they're hungry for the law, to live out the religious law. They want to do it right, and they're zealous for that. When it came to the Essenes, they're going to separate from everybody. And they're going to have the religious asceticism, and we're going to pull away from society, and we're going to guard ourselves. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. There's beauty in that, okay? But it was one of those things we're not going to look to impact. We're going to pull away in our, 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 our provision of our holiness and our righteousness between us and God and living out his, his walk upon us. And then you had the zealots. I like the zealots. They're like, let's just cut every Roman we can find, you know. They're zealots, you know. So the religious and the religiosity would lead them, if you will, today to kind of like a sense of terrorism. I mean, like they, they had a, a fierceness about them, you know. And um, ah, that's the wrong word. I shouldn't have said terrorism. But, but just a fierceness about the religious devotion, all right. So here's the thing. Jesus had really nothing to do with them uh, either, as much, you know, but he had more to do with them than he did Herod and Caiaphas. But the, what you usually see with Jesus is these people, kind of, especially the Pharisees, received his strongest rebuke, Okay. Jesus doesn't like religious stuff, amen? 
like something to be real, something that changes you from the inside out, not top down. Religion will always try to change you from the top down. If I told you, if you wore a suit in here, and y'all, how many was in church back in the day when somebody gets saved? I'm just being honest. I remember these days. Somebody gets saved, they come in off the street, they get saved looking rough, and man, if I could get that man in a suit within about two months and serving at the door in a nice suit, ooh, look how righteous we've got that man. We didn't say it. We just... It was just our practice. It was religion. It was top down. This is how you dress. This is what you wear. This is how you look. This is what you do. It wasn't inside. It wasn't a heart change. Okay? So Jesus, his way wasn't this way either, the way of the religious. Instead, Jesus had his own way, his own politics, his own idea as how the community could be formed and shaped. Jesus' way of living would be different. It would be the way of a new kingdom, the kingdom of God. That's what he came to teach. And so Herod and Caiaphas, they couldn't do it through power. They couldn't bring change. And the Pharisees and the Essenes and the Zealots, they couldn't do it through piety. But instead, listen, the bread of life, Jesus, he challenges us to be like yeast, like leaven, something small yet active that changes the whole. And so you have the power of Caiaphas and Herod, and it's not getting the job done. The nation is still hungry for a savior. They're still like, like sheep without a shepherd, you know? The religious are trying to get it done through piety, and it's missing it. And Jesus comes along, the bread of life, and he sparks something amongst 12 men that sparks something amongst 120, that sparks something amongst 3,000, that sparks something amongst 8,000, that by the third century had taken over the known world. Just a little yeast, just a little something of change, not top down, deep on the inside of people passionate about Jesus. More than the system. Passionate about Jesus and his way and his word. More than some argument that usually leads to divisiveness. So Jesus, he would teach things about this community like this. A community being transformed that would slowly transform the world. A community that's ready to forgive rather than strike back. A community ready to walk a second mile and lend an extra coat rather than one that says, fend for yourself, take care of yourself. Pick yourself up by your own bootstraps. Now, on the other side of that, the scripture says the man that doesn't try to provide for his family is worse than an infidel, right? But man, God shows us to have a charitable heart. And so Jesus would speak many times to that. A community ready to speak truthfully rather than speak falsely. A community of trusting dependence upon the Father, even to the point of suffering, rather than being caught up in defending one's own well-being. I'm just holding on to my argument. I'm just trying to make my case. Jesus' way, his politics, his mission was to create a community of people seeking to live primarily under his reign and rule and finding their identity there. Jesus' politics was to create a people who would live, love, forgive in such a unique way that culture would be transformed not from the top down but from the bottom up. That was his desire. And the uniting, the uniting symbol that we see here, the two identifying marks of the community that's being formed, were not an elephant, nor were they a donkey. The uniting symbols was that of bread and wine and baptismal water. Bread and wine, but you're invited into a meal together to celebrate what Jesus' sacrifice has meant. That it covers all of us and it makes us one race, one people Covers all of us and makes it equalizes us, you know? It covers all of us that rich and poor, if there's poor amongst us, we're supposed to watch out for them. 
If there's rich amongst us, we're supposed to give more money to the church. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, but this, 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 this meal that celebrates the sacrifice of Jesus that brought us into this different way of living. What kind of way of living? This way of living that that baptismal waters just show oh, the washing away of the world's precepts, the washing away of the world's ways of doing things, the divisiveness of the world, all those things covered in the things of Jesus. Isn't that cool? That should be the symbols that we celebrate. And I'm happy with whatever political party you're in, but don't let it be something that robs people from seeing Jesus. I had a church planter that I had to correct, you know, for four and a half years. I was a church plant director for a movement. And during that time, one of my planters, I had to correct him because all he ever would post was just political stuff after political stuff after political stuff. And he would complain, why aren't people coming to my church? Why aren't people becoming saved? Because you're not preaching the word. You're constantly talking politics. You're never talking the kingdom. And I had to get on him. And now all these years later, four or five years later, guess what? Still doing the same thing. Still preaching to the same 30 people. Well, pastor, you're just afraid to speak the truth. No, no. I want to speak the kingdom of God from the word of God. Because I know the Republicans get it wrong half the time, and so do the Democrats. Amen? But the Lamb is right every single time. Hmm. I should get emotional about this. I, it's just politics. <laughs> I think my heart's just heavy. Because I see how people rob themselves. Especially in their Facebook communities, you know, they rob themselves from really, really being able to, to, to minister to people because they just are so wrapped up so often in the politics of the day. I just want Jesus to be seen. So no, Jesus' politics, his way of governing seemed to be shaped and formed and brought into formation around a table, around eating a meal together with those of any nation, any color, any kind Jesus died for these. He loved the world. He came to bring salvation to all. And he invites us all to that table. And he invites us all to that water that, that the Lord uses as symbolism to, to wash all the stuff of this world. The world's methods. The world's influences. The world's flaws. You, you realize that when we're baptized into the name of Jesus, what that means, right? It's, it's into his teachings and his precepts. Into his character and all that he stands for. He's our rabbi, and it's into the things that he gives to us and teaches us that we're to walk in after him. That's what it is. It's those methods. And in doing so, that baptism represents a new identity that we have as children of God. I mean, Jesus himself was baptized, and he invited his followers to be baptized. It was that sacred symbol of just showing that we walk in a different way. Amen? I want you to look back at 1 Peter 2, and we're going to bring this to a close. As that scripture as it unfolds, and we're not going to put it on the screen, you can either have your Bible or open your phone, mymomentumchurch.tv. And there's an app in there, and it'll give you all these scriptures and all the notes from today. Amen? And as we walk through 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12, it says that you're a chosen people. We're chosen. God picked us. Peter means not a particular nation, not a particular county or country, not a particular country or color. No, God's chosen people is a people from all tribes and all colors and all countries. And God brings us in through the belief in Jesus Christ. And not only that, 
all political persuasions. He just brings us in two together. The problem that we have so often is we can't establish the difference between patriotism and nationalism. Can I get on a soapbox a little bit? Okay. So authentic patriotism is beautiful. It concerns itself with the love of country and pride and its highest ideals. And I believe America has some amazing ideals. A sermon I preached about five years ago on the history of our country. I may do it again in in November. I don't know. But it was a great sermon looking at the ideals of our country that have shaped us out of the Judeo-Christian path. Okay, Powerful. But here's the thing. It also insists on a clear-eyed understanding of the failings of a country and a call to make them right. Patriotism would demand man that racism needs to end in this country. But there's people, if you bring up racism, instantly they don't think you're a patriot. Right? Or whatever the argument might be. I'm just saying, patriotism. Everybody say patriotism, good. Yeah. There's nothing wrong. I love America. God bless America. I, I mean, I will red, white, and blue it till I die. Amen? You go to Canada if you want, eh? But I'm not. <laughs> Stand right here. But watch what nationalism is. Nationalism is a blind loyalty to country at times, a refusal to consider shortcomings and weaknesses. At times it refuses to consider shortcomings and weaknesses. Guys, nationalism throughout history has done awful, awful things. And sometimes if we're not careful, I think our political slants and how we fight so vehemently over our platforms, it smacks of nationalism, not patriotism, on different fronts. Amen? And we're not supposed to be a part of that nation, per se. We're part of the royal nation. First, our allegiance to God. The Bible talks about the state and country. It's there to provide stability, justice, and peace for its people. And when it doesn't, we are supposed to speak out against it. Yes, we are. When it fails, we speak prophetically so to cause it to have shifts. Yes, we do. All right? We do. Scripture would teach us that. Um, It goes on in in verse... um, 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 Let's go down here to to where it says it's a royal priesthood. You and I have access to the Father. We have immediate access. We don't need a priest as a mediator. Jesus is that priest. We are a royal priesthood, and we're called to be mediators, ministers, and priests of this new kingdom. How can we do that if all people ever hear from us is our politics? We can't. Whether those are, are, are democratic politics or Republican politics. If that's all we're talking about, and that's all we're known for, Jesus is getting lost in that. His message, his gospel is getting lost because our arrogance, we've got to guard our hearts in that. We are to be royal priests, a mediator. We are to be a holy nation. We're not merely a part of this world anymore. We've been called to be set apart, to act holy. And when we don't act holy, we're out of character. We're a people belonging to God. We belong to him. We are God's inheritance, that holy nation. I told you we are his own special, special people. God's been merciful to us in order to form a community transformed by him. That's our identity now, and that's how we must live. I'm going to finish here with verse 11. Listen, beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. In other words, this isn't our place. This is just a temporary dwelling. Heaven is our place. The kingdom is our place. Abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. God has and is forming you. 
And we're to align ourselves to him in his way, a way not dependent upon the Herods and Caiaphases of the world, a way not always rejoicing or, or rather voicing with the reactionary religious groups or political zealots of our time. We do that. So my question as I started, is Jesus a Democrat or a Republican? And then I went a little step further. I said, no, no, who will bring about lasting change in our lives? As I bring this to bear upon us, the question really is, how am I going to live? Because guess what? Top down will not change anything. It's a start. But how we live in our own homes changes everything. How we live in our city, in our communities, how we do business changes everything. How we are charitable to those who are poor changes everything. Amen? We want fiscal responsibility to be embraced by our government, yet at times we are careless in our finances. I challenge us to not look for leadership to change it, but to align our hearts to the kingdom of God. Amen? Let Jesus rule our hearts. We want conservative values to be legislated in our state house, but often allow all sorts of things in our own homes that we know we have no business being embracing by those who are, 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 are God's children, us. Okay, We know we have no business embracing those things. We want our president to make wise decisions regarding conflict, yet we fail to embrace handling conflict in our lives in a biblical way. See, the source of true change in our nation does not come from whom is reigning or ruling in the White House. It comes from whom is reigning in one's heart. That's who will bring about lasting change. And what's amazing about man is we were always called to live in submission to an authority, to God. And God lines up that authority, you know. And the greatest way you can stay up under that authority is stay in the Word and allow it to rule and reign your heart. Amen? And see, from the bottom up, God bring that change that really will last. So as I close, the real questions that we need to ask ourselves are this. Will I live divisively? Will I live divisively? Or will I guard my heart when it comes to political matters that the kingdom of Jesus can be seen and that the Lord can be seen in my life more than my political platform? Number two, will I live deliberate? And looking out for the needs of others. I believe Jesus teaches us to do that. Number three and kind of four, both. Will I live determined to be fiscally responsible and morally sensitive to what pleases the Lord? Will I do that? Or will I expect some leader to do it for me? Whether that's your pastor or your politician. Can we pray? Jesus, right now, we embrace your word. We, we want to be people of your kingdom. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us, Lord God, to live out day to day your agenda, your platform, so that the good works that we do will be seen and that you will receive all glory you deserve in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Fuel for the Journey. For more information, please check out www dot momentumchurch dot tv